from the ever-changing studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey with construction all around. This is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka in his weekly spot on a Friday, November 5th, 2021. Teeing It Up presents. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. Um, let's start here. There's a lot that's happened in the last 12 hours. So um, we're recording this at 9.40 in the morning. I don't know if Odell Beckham has a new destination but clearly this became untenable, and in the span of me going to sleep, he went from being a part of the Bengals roster to being a non-member of the Bengals roster to now no longer being a member of the Bengals. Um, uh, sorry, of the uh, Browns. What the heck happened here, first of all? Is this... Is, is this in your mind all because of one video from his father? Is this because they never were on the same page? Is this because they were never healthy? And then number two, where do you think Odell Beckham goes from here? Who picks him up? Yeah, I think it was due from the beginning. There's been a mindset with that player since his last season in New York that he was going to do things his own way. And he has. And I think that's sort of disrupted the way a team's you know, can build the locker room with a guy like that in it. He's just not, I don't think, a, a team player. And, and you can complain and, and say you're open on every play. You know, I, I watched a little bit of that video. There were a lot of passes, and I thought that maybe he just wasn't trying for either. So I, I think it was a little bit of, you know, 50-50. I, you know, I don't think Baker ever felt comfortable with him either. Um, he, you know, Baker very quickly, you know, developed a chemistry with like Jarvis Landry who was very comfortable running the rounds underneath and we didn't see a lot of that from Beckham you know during his time with the Giants you know he was taking underneath rounds and slant rounds and taking them and, and, and doing a lot of damage after the catch after he broke his ankle he did a little bit less of that and I think that's where Baker's comfortable currently with you know building his you know progression throughout the game is, you know, starting out underneath and then obviously using play action to get some deep shots. And if O.L. Beckham's only going to be available or an option on like 25 to 30% of the play calls that you have, then he's not really, you know, needed on that team. And I think that's what it came down to. I think it's a little bit of the, the player never really embracing being there, never really wanting to be there. Really got had no choice but to be there because he got traded. And a team that, you know, got him prior to this current regime there, they didn't fit, necessarily fit their philosophy on, um, you know, the type of player they need at that position. And at the end of the day, I think the money that's owed to him and, and what he's going to cost against a cap, given what they have to do moving forward, doesn't line up. Uh, so that's a lot of why I think he's not there. As for where he goes, I, I don't know. I, I think... You know, the Saints were rumored to be interested in him. Uh, I think that's kind of a similar situation that, that you're going to be in Cleveland, right? A quarterback that can't really get the ball downfield or not accurate enough to get you the ball downfield. So it could be similar, at least it's a better team. Uh, overall, a better coaching, I think, than Cleveland. So, you know, that's a plus on that end. I, you know, I'm trying to think of the playoff teams. I, I don't think San Francisco's a good fit. I also don't think they have the cap space to make it happen out there. I don't know. I think I think it's going to be t difficult to see where he lands up. I know he's going to land up somewhere, but I, I just can't right now off the top of my head think of where he might go. 
So what's interesting is that Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, who was one of the two reporters along with Charles Robinson of Yahoo, who first reported this, floated the idea that they are trying to convert his salary to a signing bonus to lower the cap hit, but they need to be careful because to make OBJ happy on the release, they need to get it to where he doesn't get claimed on waivers and they and that um, he then becomes unhappy with somebody who's forced to claim him. And one thing that Florio floated was if the money becomes so low in what a team would have to pay OBJ, do the Giants pick him up on waivers? Now, the Giants have been decimated by injuries. That is a fascinating prospect. Uh, uh, sorry, decimated by... Um, uh, sorry, decimated by injuries in that part of the roster. If he goes back there, that is an interesting move. You're a Giants fan. Would you like to see OBJ back in a uniform of the Giants? I don't see that happening. Uh, I think that's a very far-fetched you know, connection of the dots. The same general manager that got rid of him is the same general manager that is there. Uh, I, I don't see him fit in that locker room, that culture right now. I don't think the Giants do it. There's no reason for them to do it, to be honest. Like, yeah, they're decimated by injuries. They have their buy coming up. Your expectation is that, you know, Barkley, Galladay, you know, Tony, all get an extra week to get healthy after that. I, I just don't see it, to be honest. And they don't have the cap space. Even if he, if he's available, like, they don't have the cap space for that. I, it's not an option, I, I don't think. I, I'd be very, very shocked if that happens. Um, speaking of... Uh, decisions, decisions, decisions. The Jets have an interesting one. And by the way, all the best to Marcus May, the star safety for the Jets, who looks like he tore his Achilles last night um, on, on, on that play where he just went down non-contact. Um, all the best to somebody who is, who is you know, contract year, playing on a franchise tag. Um, just um, all the best to him. After the game, Robert Sala said that, and Mike White himself said that he um, should be ready for next week, that he could have gone back in the game in the fourth quarter. Um, he started getting feeling back um, in his uh, uh, fingers to properly grip the ball. It was a weird injury. You and I were talking about it last night. It was, it was a weird injury, and then he threw the touchdown, but apparently it got really stiff when he came off the field, so I guess it was adrenaline-based for when he lost the feeling in that. Uh, portion of his um, wrist and and uh, fingers, but Mike White's going to be healthy. Zach Wilson uh, could be ready to practice again. What the heck do you do if you're Robert Sala trying to make this decision? Yeah, I, I think you only throw out Wilson if he's a hundred percent. You know, they, they give him a timeline of what four to six weeks. Two to four was the initial timeline. Yeah, so I think his best two weeks as of Sunday will be two weeks. Yeah. So I think you, you just take your time with him. There's no real reason to rush him back out there, um, you know, less than 100%. You're not pushing for a playoff spot. Uh, you're not going to be looking at, uh, you know, these, these types of games where you're going to be fighting for, you know, division, a divisional spot. So I think you just... Throw him back out there when he's 100%. You know, this, this time could be good for him to see somebody else 
run that offense, understand, hey, like there are options in this offense that aren't just 20-yard to 30-yard bombs down the field. But if you're the Jets, you got to get, you know, Wilson back out there before the end of the season. So I think you'll probably see him in the next couple of weeks. Mike White, I get the romance about him, but he's not your long-term answer. So you got to be able to see what Wilson gives you because the Jets are most likely picking in the top 10 again. They have a couple of extra draft picks again next year. Uh, you want to understand what you're going to do with those those picks. So you got to throw Wilson back out there at some point. We'll probably see him, I think, week 11. Um, I don't think we see him next week, but you, you never know. But they have to get him back out there. Mike White's not your answer moving forward. I think long-term teams are going to sniff out Mike White pretty fast, and that's my concern, that the love affair with Mike White, um, you know, kind of ends and ends in a very ugly way that does not benefit um, the Jets. We're talking to Danny Flucker here on uh, teeing it up. Um, the Jets also have run defense problems, which is a bigger part of their issue right now um, because that was just completely ugly. We're going to hop to college here for a second. Are there any games on this Week 10 slate that interest you? Because if not, I have a, a, a project slash idea for us. Uh, there's one game that I think has like really big impacts this week, and that's the Michigan State-Purdue game. You know, Michigan State won a thriller last week, but if you really watched that game and understood what was happening in that game, Michigan State was very fortunate to come away with the win. You know, Michigan ran the ball pretty effectively against them, threw the ball really, really effectively against them. We're in the red zone six times, but only came away with a touchdown twice. Had a bad non-call. I had a bad call turned over for them that resulted in a defensive touchdown. Um, and we're really inefficient moving the ball. Um, yes, they scored 37 points, but they had 14 drives, I think, and they needed five five plays for one guy to make that 37 points happen. Uh, I think Purdue's a tricky spot for them. Purdue is already knocked off the number two team in the country on the road. This game's at home for them. They're playing well. They have a good defense. A pretty good offense that I think can take advantage of some of the deficiencies in Michigan State. So I think that Purdue-Michigan State game is probably the biggest game of the weekend because if you're the college football playoff committee, long term, I don't know if you want Michigan State in there, uh, but if Michigan State loses, they're automatically out. So I think that's the game this weekend that holds the biggest you know, implications on what's going to happen when we see Tuesday's rankings come out. 3.30 ABC um, for that game. Um, how surprised were you to see Bama number two in the playoff ranking? Because I did not see that one coming. I was a little surprised. I, I thought that maybe Bama would be three or four. I didn't expect it to be number two, but Bama's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And, and that's just the way it is. You know, they didn't want Cincinnati in there. Because if Cincinnati was in there and kept winning, they had to keep them in there. Um, and I think that's a big reason why they're out. If, if teams keep losing, then obviously you might see Cincinnati move up. But it's clear that just because they had that win in Notre Dame, they're looking at their entire body of work. You know, you can argue that Alabama's body of work is less less than what we've seen from you know Cincinnati. But at the end of the day, too, I think they're looking at you know what. History has shown and has shown that Alabama can play in that type of scenario, and Cincinnati hasn't. 
And at the end of the day, they probably want better games and better viewership, and they know that Alabama will get that for them. But Alabama is on thin ice because they have, you know, an opportunity within the next couple of weeks to lose a game compared to Cincinnati, which has a higher win probability in all the rest of their games. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, they were ranked number two in the AP poll or number three, whatever it was, you know, going into this weekend. They didn't, they didn't play, so no one was really, like, um, you know, looking at them from that perspective. We'll see what happens long term, but, you know, Alabama's always, I think, going to be up there regardless of what, what, what their record is just because of who they are. And that brings us to the uh, meeting that happened yesterday in Texas with the college football playoff uh, board and and their main committee of the uh, conference commissioners plus the AD from N Notre Dame that once again delayed um, any kind of prospect of voting uh, for playoff expansion and a lot of people have cried foul um, this season because of the plight of Cincinnati is currently sixth in these rankings and there seem to be three numbers that are popping out stick with four go to eight or go to 12 um, where do you fall on playoff expansion because this is a very interesting place that the committee finds themselves in with a Cincinnati team that some very much think um, you know, could be competitive in a playoff game, even if I think the majority of fans would, would doubt it. And then you have a Wake Forest team that looks like it could be on the path to winning the ACC, number nine in the rankings, and this whole prospect of if you win your division, should you get a ticket in, if you, uh, sorry, conference, should you get a ticket in, slash if you're undefeated, should you get a ticket in. Yeah, I'm really torn on this because the top four seems to be an okay formula. But if you're going to expand it, I think in my sense, you have to understand what the conference realignment is going to look like. You know, the Big 12 right now is Oklahoma, but they're not going to be the Big 12 moving forward. And they face a much tougher road to get to the college football playoff once they get to the SEC. But then we saw that the SEC had like six teams ranked in the top 25, uh, yeah. you know, in this rating. So is it just that we, we reward conferences based off of their brand, or are we actually rewarding the best teams in the end, you know, what their record states? If it were me, my, my idea would be, you know, six teams. All the, all the power five conference winners get in there, and then the best available team after that gets in. You kind of lose out the notion of, you know, resume this, resume that, blah, blah, blah. You put more importance on the conference games, understand that the conference schedule really means something, and you got to be, you got to do well in that. You already know that non-conference games are hit or miss, that, you know, these games are, are, you know, a lot of top teams aren't looking to really schedule their, you know, top teams out of conference at the beginning of the season, knowing that what loss really puts them at a disadvantage. You just make the conference you know, more important. So I think I would go to, you know, conference winner at the end of the day for each Power 5 team, and then whoever is the best team after that, you know, gets in. One and two seeds get a bye. You know, three three place 
uh, six, four plays five, and then you go from there. I, I just don't know if eight saw bottom half of that, that entrance is just going to be so far and away, you know, from a competition standpoint from the top seeds. We're going to get the same type of product that people have been saying we've been getting from the top four. Um, what I think is interesting about what you bring up is you look at Oklahoma and um, you've got um, number eight and they clearly saw whether it's the game against Kansas or some of the other games that were down to the wire they're undefeated and, and they're number eight and you look at what they've done at a conference which was negligible you look at Oregon which is number four right now and they beat Ohio State who's number five and what the committee has said to these teams is we need you to play at a conference we need you to play tough opponents and playing nothing against them but playing Sam Houston um, is not going to cut it Sam Houston number one team in the FCS right now seven and oh not going to cut it. We need you to play tough out-of-conference opponents to build a resume. And right now you have number four and number five. And a lot of these deals that are made for non-conference agreements go out, you know, until the 2030s, basically. Um, isn't there like a Bama uh, deal with somebody that's in for like the 2032 season or something? When like Nick Saban's kids could be coaching the team? Um... So that retooling is a really interesting prospect because it would change the plight of a lot of these agreements that are made between schools for non-conference games. Yeah, I, I think what the committee did though this this past week was set themselves up to allow for those teams to go back in there because you have an Oregon team at seven and one. You know, up the top four right now. They they value their win at Ohio State, which is which they should. But they know that if they lose, they're out. And if Ohio State keeps winning, they're in. And same thing with Oklahoma. If they keep winning, they're in. I think what you saw with with Michigan State and Cincinnati being I mean, Michigan State being three, and then uh, Cincinnati being six is that they want the opportunity to say, well. We rewarded them based off their wins, but they lost, so now we have to move them out because the other teams behind them keep winning. And I think that's sort of their strategy, is understanding that a lot of those teams who've ranked outside the top four still have their, their toughest games left and will determine whether or not they make it in. Alabama, you look at their schedule, they should go, you know, on the, they should run the table until they get to the SEC championship game and, you know, We'll see what happens there. If we get a, a you know, a Georgia, Alabama game, whoever wins that, you know, will be probably the number one team. But I think they set themselves up for like having a little bit of room of error, being like, well, you know, Oklahoma's kept winning. Michigan State lost. We have to move Oklahoma up. And, and same thing with like an Ohio State or, um, you know, Oregon, depending on what happens with their schedule. So I think that's what they've also done is like just set themselves up to be in a situation where they can go back and say, well, now we have an undefeated 10-win Oklahoma team and a one-loss Michigan State team. 
you know, we have to move Oklahoma up now. Michigan State has to drop. So I think they did a little bit of that. It's just sort of protecting themselves. That way they don't, they don't have to have those debates about one loss, you know, Oklahoma team being in the top four because, you know, they don't have to worry about it until it happens. So I think that's a little bit of what they did too. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. Let's move back to the NFL. Um, I, I know you're dying to talk about Texans, Dolphins, 1-7 and seven versus 1-7. and seven. Do I have that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, mu- very much so. Yes. Um, we know one thing, and that is that the Detroit Lions will not get their first win this week. They are on a bye. So they can't lose, but they can't win. Um, two games that obviously are going to have people's attention. Packers, Chiefs, I, I have to assume you look at Jordan Love. As much as Jordan Love has been respected and looks at possibly, you know, looks to be possibly the future of this Packer franchise, this is a golden opportunity for, for Cincy to get over 500. And then you have Titans, Rams, but with no Derrick Henry. And, and how do you devalue the Titans as compared to the Rams? Yeah, Green Bay Kansas City is an interesting game because Kansas City is just not playing well. Um, you know, despite their win on Monday night, I, I didn't come away from that thinking that Kansas City is fixed or, or anything like that. If Green Bay can defensively keep them in in the game, I think they have an opportunity. You know, to pull off an upset, they stick to the run game. You have Devontae Adams back, Alan Lazard back. You know, they they have an opportunity from a skill skill player uh, standpoint. They still have a chance there, and, and you know, I, I like the way Green Bay played against Arizona too. Yes, you had Aaron Rodgers, but they they game plan to beat Arizona in a very specific way, given what they had. So I think they have that opportunity here to do the same thing against a Kansas City team that, that's reeling a bit. You know, if they can force some turnovers, give Jordan Love a short field, lean on Aaron uh, Aaron Jones and and Dylan in the run game, and then hit Adams for a couple of big plays. They have a they have a shot, and going to the Tennessee side of things, you still have Ryan Tannehill, you still have AJ Brown, you know Julio Jones should be back. You know they still have you know some players over there, and and an offensive line that's that's pretty good. If they can get some production from the run game and, and balance out that team a little bit, I think they're going to be okay. Yes, you lose Derrick Henry, and, and it's a big big loss, but. You have a team that's still, I think, very well-rounded. You know, their defense can be a little suspect at times, but I think they're well-coached. They know how to play in tough, adverse situations, and they're going to look to, you know, get the same type of production, maybe from three or four people rather than just one. But I think Tennessee will, will surprise some people with, with their their ability to play. It may not be this week out in L.A. It's a tough matchup for them. But I think over the long haul, you know, they still have two games against the Texans that they have to play. I still think they have two games against the Jaguars. They have to play, so they, they still have an opportunity there to win. You know, Danny, did we lose Danny? I think we lost. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Danny. You uh, cut out there for a second. Yeah, no worries. It might take them some time to understand how to play without Derrick Henry, but I think that in the long run, they'll be okay. Yeah, uh, they have uh, two games against the Texans uh, left, and they have uh, 
Should be two games against the Jags if I can. Nope, they have one game. They uh, beat the Jags uh, about four weeks ago, 37-19. Uh, real quickly, are the Rams the best team in football? I think they are right now, long term. I don't know. I still have questions about how they could play against you know a, a top defense. Let's not forget their last three games were against like the Giants, uh, Jaguar, was it Giants, Lions, and Texans. So it's I want to see how they they do against some of their their tougher opponents here. You know they have some interesting games coming up. Right now I'd say yes. Uh, long term I, I still think teams like Green Bay. Tampa, you know, Buffalo are, are probably better, uh, you know, better bets, I think, to make the Super Bowl. We shall see. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for joining us and teeing it up. No problem, man. Have a great day. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.